you've heard the expression, absence makes the heart grow fonder, and the longer that we're away from each other, the more I'm longing to get back together. So I'm excited that uh, someday, hopefully sooner than later, as we pray and we ask for God's mercy, maybe we can get together pretty soon. Um, it won't be next Sunday, I don't believe, and so uh, we've made some preparations for, for Easter, and I'm going to talk about that kind of at the end, but uh, I'm super glad you're here this morning, and we're going to look at God's Word um, I am missing sports like crazy. I just, I'm missing it. And so I'm watching sort of those social distancing uh, sports like uh, axe throwing and I'm watching billiards and that kind of thing. And I even spent probably about two or three minutes watching sand marble racing. Um, this is how bored I am because I really, really miss, look, they're going to launch here in just a second. This is very exciting. It's very exciting because there's nothing else going on. Um, I miss marble racing mostly because, or I'm not miss, I miss sports mostly because I miss the thrill of victory. And so I'm pulling for one of the, I can't remember which one I pulled for, but I'm pulling for one of these marbles to win, and this takes two or three minutes, and really I don't want to talk about it anymore. But I miss the thrill of victory. Uh, this is a ticker tape parade that once you win a championship, you get the victory. You get to have the party, and that's just... Uh, I, I had the chance when I was 18 years old, my daddy had a, um, a convertible, and so I got to drive the convertible in my high school, uh, senior high school, I was a senior high school, I got to drive it in the homecoming parade, and for one hour I was the Mac Daddy, and I had you know this, the dark glasses on, and I was driving the pretty girl through town, and that was just really awesome, and today we're going to talk about Jesus's sort of victory parade called the triumphal entry. Today is Palm Sunday, and so we're going to talk about this day that we have that we celebrate Jesus coming in to Jerusalem to much fanfare. Now, uh, we have parades like this, 4th of July. We may have them again someday. And uh, we have these parades, and when people win championships, we have parades and that sort of thing. Well, in Jesus' day, they also had these victory sorts of parades. And if you were a military leader and you had conquest, then you would ride into town on a stallion and, and everyone would cheer. And, and there was a guy by the name, of, uh, a few hundred years before Jesus, 165 years actually before Jesus, there was a guy named Judas Maccabee, and he had a great victory for the Jews, and he came riding into town on a, on a stallion. And people were yelling, Hosanna! And they were yelling, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to Judas Maccabee. And we see the same sort of language when Jesus enters Jerusalem, not riding on a stallion, but riding on a donkey. When you entered a, a, a town on a stallion, you were, uh, you were saying, I'm victorious. And it's a, it is a, the, the stallion was a sign of power. When you ride in on a donkey, it was a symbol of peace. And so we're going to have a few slides. We're going to read them together. I'm going to read them to you uh, that begin in Luke chapter 19 about Jesus' victory parade. So if you would follow along with me, um, we've made these bigger so you can read them a little bit better. By the way, I really appreciate Chris Roberts for helping and uh, managing our video. We changed something this week. We're always tweaking it, trying to make it better. Probably about the time we're ready to get back together, we'll get it perfect. But that's okay. We're learning things every week. And so thank you for your patience and thank you for being here. So let's look with me to uh, Luke 19. Uh, it says, in, beginning in verse 28, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. And as he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead, and he said, Go into the village over there, 
And as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there with no one that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying this colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, they were, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And they, these disciples simply replied, as Jesus had instructed them to, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. Uh, interestingly, uh, Roman soldiers and rabbis could commandeer uh, personal items for use uh, back in that day. Uh, it was legal. I'm pretty sure it probably wasn't very popular. But just as Jesus suspected, uh, he asked his two guys to go in and get this, uh, this donkey. Uh, Jesus grabs the donkey. Not Jesus. The, the guys grab the donkey. And um, they're asked, hey, what are you doing? And basically they're saying, hey, the Lord needs this. The rabbi has commandeered this for his own use for now. Let's continue. As Jesus rode along, the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. By the way, uh, this doesn't mention it, but in other, one of the other texts it talks about laying palm branches down. Uh, we call this Palm Sunday, not Garment Sunday. Palm Sunday sounds a little better. But anyway, uh, they laid their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down to the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and to sing, and they walked along praising God for all the wonderful miracles they'd seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And they would lay these palm branches down and they would lay these garments down and the palm branches they would wave and it was sort of symbolic of, of victory for the nation. And so these were Jews. This was Passover season. Uh, Jerusalem would have been packed with people. Uh, Thousands upon tens of thousands of people would have lined the street. This was a huge deal. And so Jesus rides in and everybody is there and they're shouting and they're excited for his entry into Jerusalem. Blessed is he. Uh, blessed on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And they would be saying, Hosanna, uh, which means save us. And they would uh, be uh, exclaiming uh, Jesus' worth. And they were very excited about Jesus being there. Now, not everyone is, is happy about this. In fact, um, the Jews were not great at being submissive to the Romans. The Romans sort of occupied the country. And the Jews weren't really good at that, weren't very happy with that. And so... Um, they had a tendency to rebel. And so you'll see a little pushback here from those who are in Jewish power. They had power. They liked their position. And they didn't so much care about Jesus. They just cared about the people who thought Jesus was the king. Look at the language here just for a second. Blessed, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Romans had a king. And the Romans had leadership. And they really didn't want the Jews to have a king. And so there's pushback from the religious leaders called the Pharisees. Some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying these things like that. He replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Again, the Pharisees weren't so concerned about uh, the crowd being enthralled with Jesus. They were really worried about the Romans hearing this language Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is this king who comes in the name of the Lord. Don't get me wrong, the Pharisees didn't love that the Romans were there, but they had made peace with it. 
And they had power with it. And they kind of had a little prestige with it. And they had some rights that other people didn't have. And so they were in a position that other people weren't. So today we're going to talk about some truths of life. And really, there's a great, this is a great time in the history of our country to talk about some of this. Because, I don't know about you, but it seems as if things have gotten out of control. This week we found out uh, six million more people uh, lost their jobs or filed for unemployment. That brings a two-week total to 10 million people who've, who are out of work. There's a lot of things spinning out of control. And it seems like we're not in charge and so it's a great day for us to talk about your life and what does it mean to guide your life. And so let's talk about some truths about life. Truth about life. Number one, someone is driving it. Now I have to admit I like being in charge sometimes. I don't always like being in charge, but I like being in charge at my house with the remote. I like to control what's on television. I love that. When I come in the room, Elise just has, my 13-year-old daughter just gives me the remote because she knows I should be in charge. It's sort of a, a rule at our house. Not really a rule because I, sometimes I don't care. But uh, she, mostly because she's watching Hallmark Channel movies, she knows that we're going to need to change that. Uh, so she hands me the remote. I like being in charge of that. When Miriam says, hey, uh, do you want to go out to dinner? I, remember when you used to go do that? Uh, wh- where do you want to go? And so even now, when we're ordering out, and by the way, that's really a good thing to do for our restaurants and, and folks in small businesses. If they have uh, local small businesses, please, please, please uh, order some food and, and help them out as best you can. But I like making those kinds of decisions. It's other decisions I don't particularly like. I don't like the decision of, what do I get my wife for her birthday or for our anniversary or any, any, any gift things. I don't like those decisions. Miriam will ask me, hey, what, do, what, what should we get the girls for their birthday? I don't know. I don't know. Those, I, that's not something I know. I don't know anything about that. I don't want to make that decision. I don't want to make the decision on where to go um, for vacation. So it's a big investment. and uh, you know, If I make the decision and we go there and it stinks, then it, kind of the responsibility is on me. I don't just don't like that. So I'll let Miriam make it, and if it stinks, we all blame her. I'm comfortable with that. I'm not so comfortable with it all kind of being on me. And so I like some decisions. Um, but honestly, I don't have to drive everything in my life. But somebody's driving your life. In important things, in, in making decisions, in uh, where am I going to go and what am I going to do and that sort of thing. Do, do you remember teaching your kids to drive, those of you who have kids and uh, they're old enough to drive? I've taught three of my daughters to drive. Uh, it looked something like this. Uh, there was panic and uh, yelling and it was just kind of crazy. And I remember um, one, one of my girls, I was teaching her to drive and we were coming up the, the street. We had a left-hand turn into our driveway and she started the turn. She just started learning to drive. She kind of got going t- toward the driveway. And then she froze. And it was like this slow motion. We drive into the grass, like two miles an hour into the grass. And I said, what, why, are you, why did we do that? And she said, it just wouldn't turn. Well, yeah, it won't turn if you don't turn it. And so I remember uh, having these experiences with uh, my daughters, my oldest one. She learned to drive, and uh, it, it was, you know, it's just stressful. You're, you're trying to teach them how to drive, and, and she was a really good driver, and she learned. And, 
But I remember that first day she was driving to school. And we lived in Michigan, and it's kind of snowy, and, and, and not when she learned to drive, but, you know, it's coming up. It's kind of coming up. And, and so she's learning to drive, and she just learned, just 16, and, and her sisters go to, uh, one of them was in school with her, and one of them was close, and so she could drive them all to school, uh, her uh, other sisters. And so... I remember that, that emotional morning where uh, Amaris, my oldest, gets in the car in the driver's seat and my other two in tow and they, they all uh, head out uh, to school. And I remember falling on my knees and crying and thanking God that I would never have to get up early again to take those girls to school. That was awesome. I loved it. But anyway, somebody's driving your life. Now, here's another truth that we have to understand. Surrendering control... It's tough. It's difficult. Um, it's a big moment in life when you hand the keys off to somebody else. When you say, I trust you with this vehicle that is mine. Uh, once I was uh, heading to a meeting and there were two groups of us. And, and so uh, this car packed and I was driving this other car. And we all kind of filed into our cars and we headed out to lunch and the other car went one way, and I went the other way, and, and somebody questioned my choice of route. Why are, we, why are we going this way? You ever have anybody in your car like that? Why are we, why are we taking this route? It's like, well, we're taking this route because it's my car, and I'm driving. It's kind of what I wanted to say. But now, now it's on, because we both know where we're going. It's just who's going to get there first. And somebody in my vehicle had the nerve to question if I was going to get there first. Well, we were going to get there first. I can tell you that. Um, we, at this point, treated stop signs and stoplights as suggestions and not commands. And I'll tell you this. Uh, we pull into the driveway to the parking lot um, at least four seconds before the other people. And I felt vindicated. And it was awesome because it's my car. And when it's my car, it's going to be my way. Now... That's why it's important to understand somebody is driving your life. And surrendering control is tough because somebody else is going to make the decisions. Let's go back to our story just for a second. The, the crowd. Remember what they said? The crowd. All of his followers began to shout and to sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they'd seen. Uh, seen. And they said, uh, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. And they were all for Jesus leading as long as Jesus did what they wanted him to do. As long as Jesus... Because they were going to need Jesus... Basically, they wanted Jesus in the car. If they wanted to drive, they just wanted Jesus in the shotgun seat or in the back seat. Because Jesus is handy when you have trouble. Here, here's what I'm assuming or presuming about uh, folks in our country today. Uh, when everything was really, really good and everything was really, really easy, Jesus, we might have had him in the back seat. We wanted him around, but we really didn't need him to guide us because we were getting on pretty good on our own. But now all of a sudden, we want Jesus to tell us what to do. And these folks, these followers of his, they liked having Jesus around as long as he wasn't driving. You know, I, I might have a, a 
I might have a medical issue. I'm going to need you uh, for that. Uh, I might have anxiety. I might have this. I might have that. Uh, I've got a brother-in-law who's a great mechanic. And, and sometimes um, uh, I have to call him and say, Hey, how do I fix this? I don't know how to fix this. He's handy. Uh, Jesus is like that. He's kind of handy. We, we don't want him driving particularly, but we do like to have him around. He, we, we like him to be uh, near us. But if we give over complete submission, if we say, if we surrender the keys to Jesus, now he gets to pick where we're going. And he gets to pick how fast. And he gets to pick how we're going to get there. And now all of a sudden, if I give him complete control of my life, uh, he's, he's in control of my wallet. Uh, now that money that he's given to me is kind of, he's in control. And it's not so much what I want to do with it, it's what does he want me to do with it. And now, uh, my ego, it can't be all about me. I can't be selfish and self-centered all the time. Now I have to think about others, because Jesus told me to think about others. And I have to watch my mouth now, because my mouth now isn't just what I want to say. Is anybody else out there having to bite your tongue when you read things on Facebook and things uh, in Twitter? I mean, good grief, if you said everything you were thinking, I'm glad... That Jesus has control of my mouth. Because I need him to have control of my mouth. See, the question for the day is, who's driving your life? Somebody's driving it. It could be you. It could be circumstances. And those are really, really kind of bad right now. Or it could be Jesus. See, there's, there's no way for a human being to come to God unless you surrender to him. You, you can't have him as shotgun. He has to be in the driver's seat. See, Jesus was built for that. We're going to see that in just a second. And Jesus would say things uh, that really seemed anti-intuitive, unintuitive, but they worked. Jesus would say, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. Well, that's true. It's difficult, but it's true. Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Is that easy? It's not easy, but it's true, and it works. And we think to ourselves, surrender then is passive. Uh, it's, uh, that means I just kind of sit back and let it happen. Well, that's not exactly what happens. It's just now I put somebody else in charge, and I take my orders of where to go and what to do from somebody else. He gets to help me make my choices. Uh, the Lord gets to help me guide my life. Again, Jesus was built to be the driver, not the shotgun rider. When my girls were still not able to drive, I had three of them I was taking to school every day for a while. Um, they would all, always argue who was going to be the shotgun. It was like, who's going to be shotgun? Because that was the big deal. Riding in the front seat was a big deal. We came up with a brilliant strategy for this. Um, there are typically 30, months, 30 uh, days in a month, and so first 10 uh, number one daughter got to sit there. And the second 10, what, if that fell on you know, between 11 and 20, uh, Mallory got to sit in the, in the shotgun seat. And if it was 21 to 30, then Janelle got to sit in the, the shotgun seat. Uh, she got a little gypped, uh, she got a little gypped um, uh, during February, but on months with 31 days, she got extra. So it all kind of worked out. Um, we have to put Jesus in the driver's seat. Got to let him guide us and help us know what to do when we lived in michigan michigan winters are kind of rough sometimes um, i had a friend who 
his daughters and my daughters played sports on the same teams, and they went to the same school, obviously. And so when the girls were going to play away somewhere, and we had a girl on the same team, and he had four daughters and I had four daughters, we had a lot in common. So whenever we were going to go to the next town over, and we were both going there, we would ride together. And, and we sort of had a, an agreement, uh, an unwritten sort of policy, if you will. Um, I would let, his name was Glenn, I would let Glenn drive my car. He, he would use his expertise as driving. Now there were a couple reasons for this. Glenn was from there, he knew where he was going, he knew the back roads, he was a police officer, he kind of knew the ins and outs. He, he was really, really good at knowing where to go. I was from Kentucky, I lived in Michigan, I didn't know everything. It just made sense to let Glenn drive. He had more experience, he was better at it than me. He also grew up in Alaska, so he knew how to drive on snow much better than I do. Now, for most of you South Carolinians, I would kill you at driving in snow. I mean, I'm a lot better than you are, but Glenn was better than me. And so I would let Glenn drive uh, because, number one, he, he knew where he was going. Number two, um, in a crisis situation, he's a police officer. He had driven in the snow all his life. He was better than I am. He knew where he was going, and he wasn't going to be intimidated by circumstances. See, this made sense to me. This is why we let Jesus drive our life. He's better at it than we are. Number one, he knows where he's going, and he's not intimidated by the circumstances. Also, I let Glenn drive because I always wanted to be the guy with a driver, so that kind of felt cool to me, too. People have asked me, what's it like to preach to an empty room? All right, here's the deal. I'm going to give this is an aside. Really, it's not in my notes or anything. People say, is it hard uh, to preach to an empty room? It is a little difficult, but here's, when I tell something that I think is funny, if you're here and you don't laugh, it bothers me. It really bugs me. So, by the way, when we come back and I say something that you think I might think is remotely funny, you need to laugh because I need to be encouraged by you. But anyway, uh, when you're here and you don't laugh, I get thrown off. But when I'm preaching to an empty room and I say something that I think is funny, um, I'm just assuming you're laughing. Uh, it's great. It's been really kind of a, a weight off my shoulders, so I'm kind of glad about all that. Anyway, um, I let Glenn drive because he knew where he was going, and he's not intimidated by circumstances. This makes a ton of sense to me. Now, there are certain messages in Scripture we really like to hear. Uh, Jesus loves us. Oh, we love, we love the Jesus loves me uh, message, and it's true. That's a really, really good message. Uh, we love the um, you need to slow down in life message a lot of times and because we get busy and uh, you know sometimes the Lord will tell us to slow ourselves down. I believe maybe that's what he's doing with, with the entire country. Hey maybe you slow down a little bit. There, there are some messages we really like to hear and then there are some messages that we don't particularly like to hear. And this is one of those messages where you say you need to surrender your life to the Lord and let him guide you because right now some of you might be facing some very difficult times financially uh, you don't know about your work I, I get that I understand that I, I know what how you feel um, you, you're worried and when you're worried you have a tendency to cling it's harder perhaps to surrender and the truth of the matter is I'm not going to surrender Unless I know that God has my best interest at heart. I won't surrender unless I trust Him. Well, 
he's trustworthy. He, again, he knows where we're going, and he knows how best to get there, and the circumstances don't throw him. Uh, three weeks ago, when this thing kind of all blew up, when the COVID-19 thing hit, uh, there are a lot of us who were like, oh my word, where did that come from? What happened? God's not one of them. This doesn't strike him by surprise. The economy doesn't strike him by surprise. Uh, none of this uh, is daunting to him. There are no circumstances beyond his control. And so when I surrender to him and I trust that he has my best interest at heart, then I can, I don't have to try harder. Those of you who know about this 12-step program, do you know which step it says try harder to not drink, try harder to not do drugs? It's not in there. Because here's the problem with me depending on my will. My will is weak. I have this tendency to, to forget things. Um, I, I forget how bad it was, and so I'll go to it again. Have you ever been in a situation where you kind of, you're going to will your way through it, and yet you can't will your way through it? You determine, I'm not going to do this, and yet you do it anyway? It's because our will is weak. We're just not strong enough. The 12-step program, which is one of the most effective ways for people to overcome addiction, doesn't even talk about trying harder. It talks about leaning into a higher power. And we know who that higher power should be. The, the Lord wants to help us. Jesus put it this way. If, you want, uh, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. On a Sunday like this, we sing and we get together, and uh, typically, uh, we sing and we get together, and we, we're good. Sunday's usually a good day. We kind of feel emboldened and encouraged and strengthened and we feel like well today is a good day but then monday happens and tuesday and by wednesday and thursday and friday we we, we slip a little bit that that's why the surrender has to happen daily in romans 12 it says offer your bodies as a living sacrifice and the idea here is it's continuous it happens all the time daily it's a decision i make every day Hopefully, in this quarantined state of yours, uh, I've determined I have to do a couple of things to maintain my sanity. Uh, I need a schedule. So I need to get up at the same time every day. I need to do some of the same stuff every day. I I've got to have some repetition for it to work for me. And so uh, I have my alarm clock set, and I get up at a certain time. I'm not just sleeping in all day and that kind of thing. Of course, I still have a job, so I'm still coming here. But I set uh, my alarm clock. Uh, I do a little exercise in the morning. I read the Bible before I, I come to work. I don't look at Twitter or anything like that because garbage in, garbage out, and there's just too many opinions out there. So I need to find a couple of sources that I found a couple of sources that I trust, and I'm going to read those and kind of see where the world is. I'm going to check the weather, and I'm going to see how you know, to dress for work, and I'm going to come into work, and I'm going to do my job, and I've got a list of things I need to do every week, and, and uh, some of that is um, contacting you, and some of that is uh, working with, uh, to get Sunday morning right and all that kind of thing. I have to have a schedule, and it happens every day. And one of the things I need to do every day, one of the things I do every day is when I pray in the morning, I, I say, God, you are in control. Well, can I go back just for a second? It said, uh, if any of you wants to be my follower, turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and there's our word, daily. I have to do that every single day. Now, um, 
the more I do it, the better I get at it. And maybe, maybe I uh, surrender a little sooner or I close my mouth a little quicker. I'm not as uh, prone to, to say things I shouldn't say. And in our story today, uh, when Jesus entered uh, Jerusalem, there were kind of three kinds of people. There were the Pharisees, they were the status quo people. They were the, it's my car, my way, my life. Uh, I'm going to do it the way I want to do. God, you're not telling me how to drive this life. There were the the crowd. The crowd was sort of, uh, they were divided loyalty. I I want Jesus in the car, but I don't want him driving. I kind of want him around, but I don't really, really, really want him to guide my life. And the third kind of people in that story were his disciples. And they were the ones who said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Have you ever thought about those two disciples that Jesus sent to get the donkey? Um, do you ever have to do jobs you don't want to do? I mean, I've got jobs sometimes I don't want to do. That, that, would, be, that would be the job I really wouldn't want to do. Uh, Jesus says, hey, go, go take that donkey. And if they say anything... So the, Jesus understood there's a possibility that, that that might be a little awkward for you. And so they go and they get the donkey and sure enough... They, they say, hey, what are you doing with that donkey? Now, if, if that's me at this point, I'm dropping the reins of the donkey and I'm running away. They, they answered the way Jesus told them to. But here's what we think sometimes. If we follow Jesus, we're going to read our Bible under a tree and feed the squirrels all day. And that's really not what it's about at all. In fact, following Jesus, uh, letting Jesus drive is this adventure. He'll ask you to do things you really don't want to do. He'll encourage you to, to take, uh, take stands that you're not comfortable with. He'll ask you uh, to go places and to do things that really aren't in your wheelhouse. Sometimes God challenges us to go beyond what we're comfortable with. I want to tell you a little funny story. I'm expecting you to laugh at the end of this. There was a man driving down the highway uh, late at night uh, in his minivan. And it broke down, and he's trying to flag somebody to help him. And it just so happened that a Lamborghini stops to help him. And the minivan driver says, hey, man, would you mind giving me a a ride into town? And the Lamborghini guy said, hey, I can do you one better. This Lambo, it has a V12. I'll I'll hook your car, I'll hook your minivan up, and we'll just drive into town. I'll tow you. Is that okay? And he said, yes. He said, now, if I get going too fast, you honk your horn, and you blink your lights. I'm going to tow you, but I might go too fast, so you let me know. So they get to a stoplight, and the Lamborghini's there, and the minivan's behind him, and he's being towed. And all of a sudden, a Ferrari pulls up beside the Lamborghini. And he kind of loses his mind. They rev their engines, and all of a sudden, they take out, and they start to race. And they're racing down the highway, and the guy, the Lamborghini's pulling the guy, the minivan, and the minivan guy is going nuts. And they pass a speed trap that kind of looks like this. And the officer radios in, and he said, you're never going to believe what I just saw. A Ferrari and a Lamborghini are racing down Highway 150. And the dispatcher's like, well, what's unusual about that? And he said, well... uh, They're racing down Highway 150, and there's a minivan behind them honking their horn and flashing their lights trying to pass. See, that's the picture. Uh, I'll give you time to laugh. Go ahead. (laughs) I know it's a good one. Uh, That's the picture. God takes our minivan life, and he hooks it to Lamborghini power, and he takes us where we never thought we were going to go. What does it look like? Well, there's a woman caught in adultery. You'll remember that story. And Jesus says, go and sin no more. 
There's a woman that he meets at a well, and, and she had five husbands, and the man she was living with wasn't her husband, and she had always depended on her looks and her sexuality to make a way. And Jesus talked her into a better life than that. Sometimes it worked um, like that, and sometimes there would be people like the rich young ruler. We, we talked about him. He wanted to do it his, his own way, and he was depending on his wealth, and Jesus looked at that, looked at his situation, and said, man, you need to give up your stuff because that's the thing that's keeping you from really, really following. There was another rich guy, his name Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, Jesus didn't ask him to do any of that. He volunteered to give up his money on his own. Have you ever tried to control somebody else? Um, I had a lady one time in a small group, and she said, I, start, I started taking this small group so I could help my husband. My husband needs help. But she said, I'm about halfway through this small group, and now I realize it's not my husband that needs help. It's me that needs help. Uh, sometimes we, we see it in somebody else, and we can't see it in ourselves. Who's driving your life? Today I want to appeal to you. I know it is a crazy, crazy time. And I, I get that it's easy to struggle right now and it's easy to not know what to do. But I want to tell you, uh, none of this caught the Lord by surprise. And He really, really wants to drive your life. If you've never surrendered to Him, and that's a, a lot of times we use the word surrender and like if you're in a war, uh, the, the army that's defeated surrenders, and it's kind of a negative. I'm not using it in a negative way this way. When I surrender my life, I am saying, I believe that you know where we're going and that you can handle all these circumstances. And I'm not always sure I can do that. Just the way I did with my friend Glenn. I trust you. I believe that you know what you're doing. I know you have more experience than I do. Jesus has all of that. And so today... If you have never let him take the driver's seat of your life, this is a great time to do that. Um, every day I'm praying, Lord, guide me. Help me know how to lead. Help me know what to do. If there was ever a time we needed the Lord's guidance, it's now. So if you've not ever committed to letting Jesus in the driver's seat of your life, it's really simple. It's a matter of prayer. I confess my sins. Lord, I'm a sinner. It really isn't hard for most of us because we know we've sinned. And we ask the Lord to take those sins away, to forgive them, and to guide the rest of our lives. If you want to do that, you should do that. It's a really simple prayer. If you need me to help you, uh, you can contact me. I'd be more than happy to, to call you or uh, uh, to, to interact with you via text or Facebook or, or any uh, you know FaceTime. There's a lot of ways... The technology is, is a great thing because in these times like this, we can still have personal communication with one another. So you just let me know, and I'd be happy to guide you in that. Let's pray together uh, just quickly, and then I'm going to uh, give you a couple of announcements, and then we'll be done. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for guiding our lives and knowing what you're doing, even when we kind of don't know. Thank you for taking care of us in difficult times. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.